Good evening, Sportzonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Agliolaro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. We're recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. And of course, we are rebroadcast, redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank Exciting tonight. We have a lot to talk about tonight. We got basketball playoffs. We are just about to begin the conference finals rounds of the NBA playoffs with our matchups of the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat coming out of the East. It was just announced that the Boston Celtics will be without Al Horford and Marcus Smart for game one. Horford is in a healthy health and safety protocols. Marcus Smart, I believe, has some sort of leg injury. So you got that in the West. The Mavericks withstanded the Phoenix Suns and the Warriors withstanded the Memphis Grizzlies. So that is your Western Conference Finals matchup. And it's interesting, you know, out of the East, we said we thought whoever won the Celtics Bucks series would be the team to represent the East. But with both Horford and Smart down for at least game one, and if it is a lingering injury for Smart, who knows how long he'll be out, defensive player of the year. Horford has been huge for the Celtics. If he misses substantial time, who knows how that will go. The Heat seem to once again be coming together at that right time. So it'll be interesting to see if that prophecy will be fulfilled on that one. And out of the West, you know, Luka basically took over that series for the Mavericks. But at the end of the day, you know, we've been talking about the Warriors healthy. It'll be hard to top them in terms of how deep they can go uh, in their lineup and in their bench. We'll just see what happens. It's a matchup of three and four in the Western Conference. It's a matchup of one and four in the Eastern Conference. So those series start tonight for the Heat and Celtics, tomorrow night for the Warriors and Mavericks. Of course, we are recording this on a Tuesday, so that is what we are going off of here. Uh, we have hockey playoffs to talk about. I did actually watch a little bit of playoff hockey. I saw the overtime session in the Rangers Penguin series, uh, Panera Bread hitting the game-winning goal in the overtime session to catapult the Rangers to the second round in a matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes. You also have the Florida Panthers taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning out of the Atlantic Division. You have the Colorado Am Avalanche. When we spoke last week, they were the only team who had punched their ticket into the second round. They are taking on the St. Louis Blues. Then you got the Calgary Flames taking on the Edmonton Oilers in the Pacific. And oh, I missed something here. Florida Panthers taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Atlantic. Carolina Hurricanes taking on the Rangers. Avalanche taking on the Blues. 
and the Calgary Flames taking on the Edmonton Oilers. I feel like I missed something, but in retrospect, who the hell knows? But that's what we got in terms of the hockey playoffs, and I'm sure we will get into that if we have Mr. Larry Schmelrose and Eric Pfeiffer with us later. But you know something? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I have to stretch for a couple minutes until I am joined by my compatriots here. So let's talk some Mets baseball. Let's do that. And I'll tell you right now. You know, it can't all be sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops in any 162-game season. And this past week, let's be honest here, it was the first bit of adversity we really saw for this Mets team because coming into today's action, since we last spoke last Tuesday, this was really the first real adversity the Mets had faced this season. Uh, Record of 2-3 and over the course of the last week. Uh, They get bombed by the Nationals in the Wednesday game. McGill has his worst start of the season. He is now on the injured list. Brian McCann went on the injured list on Friday. Um, And uh, as of right now, Starlin Marte was placed on bereavement. Um, Thoughts and prayers with Starlin Marte because his grandmother passed away. And uh, just to learn a little bit about his story in the course of this, He lost his mother when he was nine years old. Now he loses his grandmother who raised him. And this week is also the two-year anniversary of the death of his wife. So he's going through a rough time right now. Like I said, thoughts or prayers are with him. Hopefully he comes back soon. The Mets are doing the right thing, standing by him and giving him all the time he needs on this bereavement. The Mets lost their first series over the weekend to the Seattle Mariners. Um, They lost 2-1 to in the Friday night game. Drew Smith had his worst relief appearance of the season for the Mets, giving up the um, the game-winning runs uh, to Seattle. They came back and won the Saturday night game. Patrick Mazika, who was called up to replace uh, Brian McCann on the act, or excuse me, James McCann on the active roster, hits the game-winning home run after the Mets had blown the lead that they had. Adam Montevito giving up the uh, game-tying runs in that one. And then they lose the Sunday game uh, to the Mariners. I'll say this. The bright spot to me out of that is they could have very easily have been swept that series. To come back the way they did after blowing the lead and Mazika coming back to hit that home run that gave them uh, the lead after just losing the lead the inning before, that was huge. And then winning the first game of the doubleheader they're currently playing right now. Um, they, they put it in the books about an hour ago, uh, first game against the Cardinals. Now they're playing the second game against the Cardinals. The Mets have only lost back-to-back games one time this season. They are 12 and one in games coming back off of a loss, which is huge. So I always say it's not, if you lose a game, especially over the course of 162 game season, you're going to lose a few games every now and then. Can you come back and win the next game? Because that's all that matters in a 162-game season, the next game. So the Mets, like I said, first week that they've had some adversity. At the very least, they were able to come back uh, so far today, kind of put it behind them a little bit. We will see how they do in the second game. And I am waiting for a certain someone to activate his mic. There he is. Let's welcome him in right now. Eric Tressler is here tonight once he unmutes himself. 
There I'm here. All right, um, there you are. Eric Tressler here tonight. How you doing? Good. I just got into it with Janice for a second here because and you know, I want I want to get your opinion on this, Mike. And I don't know if Dave's here yet. I didn't, I didn't it's just me. It's just me. All right, so I'm going to get your early opinion on this, and then we can hit sure. David later. Maybe he joins us while we're talking. But I, just I don't like I don't like stepping it. in. I don't like stepping into marital problems, but I'll help you out here. So no, no, no but I'm just saying because <laughs> so well, what it was is so we were watching uh, Yankees pregame or whatever, finishing dinner, okay. and I was getting ready to come on the show, clean up dinner, and all of a sudden it brought up like a commercial or brought up a stat about like. Uh, Giancarlo Stan and him as a DH for his playing in the outfield and blah, 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 and like the home runs and whatever. And some comment was made about home runs, and I said, chicks dig the long ball. I mean, that, that's, Janice, a slogan. that's a slogan. Janice from looked at me, and she goes, what? And I said, oh, chicks dig the long ball. She goes, that's inappropriate. I was like, what? And she's like, I don't like long balls. And I'm like, <laughs> what? She's like, well, first of all, you can't call people chicks anymore. And I was like, what? Like, so she was breaking this thing down. And I'm like, don't you remember? It was like MLB back in the day, 90s. Absolutely. Race, yes. Sosa, Mark McGuire. Yes. Greg Maddox, I remember, I believe, was in the commercial. And he was Wait, him and Tom Glavin. Him and Tom Glavin. I know the yeah. exact commercial you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And chicks did yeah. the long ball. And she goes, yeah. oh, they could never have that on TV nowadays. That would never fly. And I'm like, I, what? And I'm like, to me, I'm like, I think it's an innocent thing. She goes, no, it's inappropriate. It's a sexual innuendo, and you can't oh, call girls God. chicks anymore. And I'm like, well, I, I, no. Like, it's, it's not meant that way. It's meant that, like, oh, it's like, oh, they hit the ball far. It's, you know, long ball, not long balls. There's no S at the end. Yeah, nobody, and, nobody's – yeah. Well, so. let me let me give you you only give me my thoughts on this because yes, I grew up hearing that phrase just like you did, the 90s commercial. Absolutely. Let's be honest here. Baseball came back from the strike and got fans back on the back of that phrase. The steroid era, the whole deal. So, I I get where you're coming from on that. This is definitely a case of um I don't even know how to phrase it, but Janice is definitely looking at it from a modern point of view. And we all know the modern PC police and all that stuff. I I get where she's coming from. You definitely can't call girls chicks anymore. So I get that. Um, it's funny that she went to long this balls. This chick's really offensive, though. I want to just be honest. This is just not me trying to, like, poke fun or anything or whatever. But, like, is that such, is that a bad I, term? I, Granted, it's not the perfect term to call a woman. I get that. Yeah. But at the same thing, are they are many women really offended by being called uh, like it? Like, is it, I want I wonder is any woman offended by that saying of chicks take the long ball? Because I'm not talking about any specific woman in general. Just women in general, like you know. Well, I, I don't know. It's not talking about anybody specific. So to me, I'm like, it's more of just a general phrase, which granted <laughs> the wording could be better. But as far as offensive, I could think of 20 words off the top of my head that would probably be more offensive to women than the word chicks. Well, I don't know. I, let me say this. I don't think any of us, either of us are the right people to ask of, uh, this question to because neither of us are chicks. Well, I definitely get I what you're saying. I'm to be honest, part of my delay today was me going, come on, 
Like, get on and give your opinion so that we can, you know, debate. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, I, I'll give my overall opinion, but I do want to welcome someone into the room right now because Dave Hastings is here tonight. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are we doing this evening? I'm, I gotta doing? be honest, Dave. I'm a little disappointed that he. I thought he was going to introduce his mom. I was really hoping <laughs> it was going to be your mom to chime in on this conversation, Mike. So I gotta say, Dave, as much as I love you, I'm slightly disappointed that you're not Mike's mom. I will I think never. I, I'll never take it personally <laughs> being put second to Mike's mom. That's more than okay in my book. Oh, she's gonna. <laughs> she's gonna love the fact that you said that. I think she's working tonight, though. But, um, all right, Dave, I, I'll give you the gist of how this conversation started. I guess, I guess Eric and Janice were watching something about Giancarlo Stanton. And you, yeah, we were watching the Yankee pregame. So we, were, we had the Yankee yeah. pregame on, and I was finishing up dinner. We were cleaning up dinner, and something got brought up about home runs. So then I just blurred out the phrase from the late 90s there of, oh, chicks dig the long ball. And Janice kind of was like, what? And I was like, oh, you've never heard that? Like, chicks dig the long ball. It's, you know, and she goes, no, that's a fat, like, that's inappropriate. And I was like, what do you mean that's inappropriate? She goes, women don't like long balls. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, well, first of all, like, you don't call women chicks anymore. You can't do that. And like, you know, nobody likes long balls. So I don't, I don't understand this. And I'm like, She's like, to me, it's like a bad sexual innuendo. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's literally a commercial from the 90s where I'm promoting baseball. Like, you don't remember this? And she's like, no, I don't remember it at all. And I was like, oh, it's a catchphrase. And she's like, yeah, that would never fly today. So I was asking Mike his opinion on if it would fly today, that same slogan. Well, um, to me, I don't find it as offensive. But again, I'm like Mike pointed out before, we're not women, but... To my, to me, I'm like, well, I can think of 20 other words more offensive than chicks. How many women are sure. actually offended by that slogan? Because I don't remember any women being offended by it when it came out in the late 90s. And then try to retroactively be offended by a promotional thing from the 90s. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I, like I said, I'll give my full opinion here. Dave, do you remember the commercial in the late 90s, Chicks Dig the Long Ball? I, I know you've never I been. Do. I can't say I remember the commercial, but I I still thought that was a saying. I didn't know it actually went away. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So that kind of makes the point there. I mean, Eric, you know this. There's a lot of shit we grew up with that revisionist history and the modern PC police have deemed. Oh, if this came out today, it's offensive. What? Like we can have our opinions on it. If Janice feels that way, I don't think any, I mean, you got to live with her. So I don't think you're really going to put up too much of a fight on that one. And I'm, well, I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved in offended. marital drama. She's huh? not personally offended. She's just saying <laughs> that you couldn't have that saying there today. And I'm like, well, what do you mean to me? It's still a saying. And well, she's like, yeah, I wouldn't blurt that out in public. And I'm like, I don't know why you feel that way. I think it's perfectly acceptable. So it's I, like, you want me to be honest? I, I agree with her base point. You you wouldn't be able to have that saying today because nobody would want to call women chicks. I can agree with the base point. However, it's a slogan that's been around for over twenty years. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I, I'm I'm with Eric. There there's like off the top of my head alone, I could probably give you. 10 oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, chicks dig the long ball like that. That doesn't sound 
I don't know. I, but then again, like you guys said, the world we live in, who the fuck knows who would be offended by that? But I think I think chicks I think chicks dig the long ball is just in general a, a great saying. Like I just I do. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just to prove the point, it's not like anybody was saying bitches did dig the long ball. That's one of those twenty words you definitely wouldn't be able to say. Oh, <laughs> yeah, even, yeah. even in the nineties, you wouldn't say that. You'd have to go back to like the sixties to probably be able to get away with that one. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a funny way to start this show, though. I'll give you that. It's definitely not the way I thought this show was going to start. Um, it's a funny conversation because I'll tell you right now, I never would have thought of it in those terms if you didn't say it. Yeah, I, awesome. <laughs> I definitely did not expect to walk into this. So uh, off and, <laughs> and running we go, gentlemen. Yep. All right. Does that mean we should start off with a little baseball talk or do we want to save that? I mean, I think I think we can sum it up, Mike, by saying we're doing all right. Uh, here's all I'm going to say. I said this before you guys came on. We had our first little bit of adversity last week. We won the game, uh, the first game of the doubleheader today. The Mets are 12 and one games after a loss, which is fantastic. And yeah, I'll give you that. We're doing all right. Yeah, Yankees I, I 26 and nine. We're we're doing all right. I did see a stat today for that I don't I don't know what the Mets exact record is but for the Yankees uh only it's the only the third time in like 20 years that a team has won 26 of their first 35 games and the previous two teams went on to win the World Series that year not trying to get this ahead of also- I, this is also the exact record the Yankees had in 98 when they won the championship. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so, I, I mean, obviously, you know, can't put the cart in front not of the that this is, this is definitely not the 98 team either, by the way. I'm not going to sit here and try to try to even say that. And the uh, only other thing I'm going to bring up, because this is something, uh, other than if you got something else you want to throw in real quick, Mike, but one other thing I want to bring up that's, Yankee related, but I think more of a topic that'll that'll get Dave's attention. Well, can I just say something to piggyback off of what you just said real quick? Yeah. Dave, in case you don't know, that 1998 team is considered one of the greatest teams ever in the history of baseball. Just to put that out there for you. So go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I don't think that this team is one of those teams, so I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, yeah. I think they're a good team. I think they're they're playing really great baseball, and I hope they keep it up. I don't see this team in that same light that I saw that 98 team though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just throwing that, that out there or the, the other, the other one baseball topic, I guess I did want to bring up because it is relevant. Did just happen. And you look at it and the Yankees are 25 or 26 and nine, but a yes. big part of that has been their pitching mm-hmm. and they have the lowest DRA in the league. They have the lowest amount of runs allowed in the league. They have the biggest run differential in the league. They are pitching 10 times better than anybody expected this pitching staff to pitch. Are you going where I think you're going? That being said, one of the biggest rising stars of Mm. that pitching staff happens to be a young man under the name Nestor Cortez, who's 27 years old and pitching the best baseball of his entire life. I'm surprised you're bringing this up. His entire life. Well, guess what? Whenever you get rise to the top, somebody always wants to knock you back down. Yeah. And tweets 
from his, 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago. So, I mean, we're talking back when he was 17 years old. He quoted some lyrics from some rap songs and mm-hmm. he called some friends by a certain word that we all know is not acceptable in any form or fashion and is now taking a lot of flack for it. Had to sign off of Twitter, had to, or has at least for now deactivated his Twitter and has, I guess, tried to, you know, apologize and, you know, for the comments and whatever. But at the same time, I just want to know your thoughts on it. I mean, because this happens so often. It happened to a guy, a pitcher by the name of Hader, who's one of the best closers in the league. He was closer for Milwaukee. Was it two years ago, Mike, maybe or so, when he had his yeah, 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 season? Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden they went back and found tweets. Listen, there isn't anybody out there who hasn't done something stupid when they were younger. And granted, maybe we lived in a better era because back then we didn't have this shit. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have whatever. So if we said something in a conversation with a group of friends, it's probably been forgotten about 10 times over by now. Mm. A tweet never gets forgotten about because no. it's always there. And somebody can always go back and see what you tweeted. So in one way, I kind of prefer the way we grew up. But in the same respect, how can you expect a 17-year-old? He doesn't know that he's one day going to be a starting pitcher for the New York Yankees and to watch what he says on Twitter. And back then, that was the way he was talking with his friends. So it's not like he was using it in a derogatory term. He was using it in a friendly term towards people of, you know, that he knew and he was friends with. So it wasn't hate speech necessarily, although it is hate speech. I'm just wondering, like, should and I'm not just bringing this up because he's a Yankee, but I'm bringing it up because it happens more and more to athletes all over. And not just athletes. But you look at somebody like James Gunn, who got fired originally from Guardians of the Galaxy and Disney because of tweets that resurfaced 10 years ago, 12 years ago, that people all of a sudden got offended by. You know? At some point, like, I think we have to stop. Like, like, do you see this as as big a deal? Because to me, I just look at it as people out there Wanting to knock somebody who's doing well down off their uh, off their pedestal, you know, somebody who's doing well in life, who's somebody who's exceeding, somebody who's doing, you know, like I said, Nestor Cortez was pitching last year. Nobody brought this stuff up. He just happens to be having the best start to his career this season, and now all of a sudden, this is what they're going to bring up. The guy's pitching to like a one something ERA right now, mm. ridiculous. No, and then this is why this pops up. If he was pitching like garbage, you never would have seen these tweets. No, like, like. The tweets are the tweets. Can't take them away. They did happen. Are you more offended by the tweets? Or do you think more of like, you know, listen, they happen. They are what they are. He's not proud of them. And, you know, why are we digging them up? That's what kind of where I'm at. Well, and it goes for I, people all over. Because, again, I don't yeah. think anybody 10 years plus should be dealing with this shit. Well... It, it's funny because I, I, when you originally were going down this path, I said, are you really going here? Because I was kind of surprised that you were starting with this because the way I read it, it seemed almost like a non-issue to me because I read it in the way that he deactivated his Twitter account to kind of jump ahead of the whole issue. I didn't realize that people were actually 
showing his old tweets, and he did that in response to that. I do think he handled it the right way. I mean, it, it, rap lyrics are a tricky thing because we all grew up with rap lyrics, and it gets interpreted that the people quoting the rap lyrics are saying them themselves when in reality you're just repeating what you heard. And that's, that's a dicey situation on that one. I don't look at what Cortez, I mean, you said it perfectly. It's a 17 year old kid. And if he had been pitching like garbage this year, nobody would do be doing this. So it's clear there was an agenda behind why the tweets were resurfaced in the first place just like the whole James Gunn thing five or six years ago. Well, I guess it was four or five years ago now, truthfully. And that one was also a case of Gunn had apologized for those tweets, but they resurfaced because he was going after uh, politicians who the people who brought the tweets to like supported. So it's all about agenda. And to quote another famous rapper, the more money you make, the more problems and jealousy, jealousy and envy, and it just comes with the territory. Rest in peace, Biggie. So I don't, I think Cortez handled it the right way. I want to believe this is something that will blow away. It doesn't seem like the Yankees are making him pay any repercussions for this. And, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But again, I do feel like Cortez did the right thing jumping in front of it and deactivating the account and saying, listen, I regret putting those up there. I was 17 when I did it. And I actually have the exact quote here. The exact quote is, I felt like it wasn't the right message that I wanted to send out when I was 17 years old. Those happened 10 years ago. I deactivated my Twitter, Twitter to clean stuff up. It's not acceptable. I think I could have managed myself and said stuff differently. But I'm here today to say that I'm going to work on it and fix it. I don't think you could ask for much more, but I'm going to throw it to Dave to get his opinion. Go ahead. I, I, you know, I, I know he's probably got to have, his, you know, some kind of opinion on it. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> well, the things we do when we're 17, <laughs> can they affect our lives as we get older? Of course they can. But, like you, you pointed out, Eric, we grew up in a different time. And so even if, and I, I mean, look, I was a huge, huge rap head growing up. So I cannot sit here and act like if I didn't have a Twitter back then that I wouldn't have put some lyrics up that I really liked that probably involved that word. Um, so I, I can't even try to act like that wouldn't have happened. Um, I also think that when you really think about it, like, he did get ahead of it, which is a, a sign of, you know, he knows what he said back then. He shouldn't have said, but at the same time, from the sounds of the story you guys are telling me, he wasn't, you know, directing it in an obligatory way. Like, he was just, like, you know, putting rap lyrics out there, joking with some friends of his. Like, so I don't really... I don't think this is something that should impact his career. Um, I don't think this is something that should make fans show up to a game when he's pitching and boo him and talk down on him or throw things at him. And when it's all said and done, I mean, yeah, like 
it's really, you know, judge me on who I am today, not who I was a decade ago, because those are two completely different human beings. I mean, hell, I'm different than I was five years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and you said it great there that you, you can't to judge anybody on what they did in their teenage years when they're now a decade later, you know, or even more in our case. Like, do you imagine somebody going back to like you like you said, Dave, you, you know, like any of us, you would have done something stupid, said something stupid, you know, posted something that you shouldn't have posted or, you know, it, it, we all would have done it. Like, and that's why, you know, in one way, shape, or form, I'm kind of glad we lived in the era we lived in. We were the last of that generation. Before the, the explosion of Facebook and Twitter and, and all of it, like, we're kind of that last generation where we got in kind of when we were already, like, you know, like, I didn't get Facebook really until I was, you know, in my 20s. Yeah. You know, I think I signed up for it when I was in college, but I never used it. And I didn't really even start going online much and doing stuff until I was in my 20s. So, I mean, like, it's, it's a different world for sure. Um, and I just uh, I kind of hope along the same lines of what you said there that it doesn't affect him long term for the rest of his career because I don't think that that's right to judge anybody that way. Again, it's not like the guy committed murder. It's not like, you know, he, he harmed or assaulted women or, or did, so, you know. Um, it, you know, it's not like he had a heinous crime. He just posted some shit he shouldn't have posted and that to me is where i look at it and i'm just hoping that he uh hoping he learns his lesson and eventually gets back on twitter and you know um everybody kind of lets us sail off into the sunset mm. i mean the the only thing i want to add to it before we move on here because everything you guys said was right there's two things Dave, you said something a couple years ago about a class you had taken where a teacher said something to the effect of anything you put out on the Internet stays there. I, I'm not getting the wording right, but it was basically anything you put out there is going to be there and is going to be your legacy in a way for years to come. Unfortunately, at 17 years old, you don't realize that. But to go to what you guys said about the, the age we all grew up in, you know, I'll admit this right now. I didn't have the easiest time in elementary school, middle school, high school. I was one of the picked on kids. I think about the time we all grew up in, and I think about now with cyberbullying and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Like, dude, if I grew up during that time, I may not be here today. I probably would have ended it, truthfully. So I'm very happy I didn't grow up in this time because it just would have exacerbated a whole lot of shit, if I'm being honest. Well, That's all I, I really I'm, happy, I'm happy you didn't live in that time either. Then, like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think about the, I think about the shit I went through and how much worse it would have been if I grew up in this time. Like it, it's not an easy time. You can say what you want about this generation. Trust me. I, I've, I've lived around this generation of kids. They have it so much easier than any of them know, but you know, for the picked on kids, probably a hell of a lot worse, hell of a lot worse, or at least it could be. And I, I, I'll go back to what we were talking about with um, Chicks Dig the Long Ball. Yeah, there's an oversensitivity in today's day and age. Some of it, not the worst thing in the world, man. Some of, it, some of it's not the worst thing. It comes from a place of good intentions, even if it doesn't always seem that way. At least that's how I choose to believe it. So anyway, with that being said, let's move on here and let's welcome into the room 
Eric Pfeiffer is here tonight. Eric, how you doing there? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Let's get out of baseball, though. Fife is here. I don't know if you want to bring Schmelrose in or if you would like to talk about this and keep him in his little room for the night. Let's talk some hockey. You guys will be happy to know I did watch a little bit of playoff hockey this weekend. I did see the overtime session between the Rangers and Pittsburgh Penguins. Boy, I almost called the Steelers for a second there. Um, I did it last week, too. Did I really? Okay. Yeah. We let you go with it, but you did. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. What are friends for? Um, anyway, I'll let you take it from there, man. When we were talking last week, Rangers were down 3-1. to one. We talked about how important that game five is to a series. And I know it's a little more common in hockey than it is in baseball or basketball. But I still look at coming back from 3-1 as a tremendous accomplishment. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely huge. It's definitely huge. Uh, you don't see it often. Uh, you really got a battle, especially like Eric had mentioned in the chat, that you know they were down in all three of those games too. So it was a great effort by them. Um, I think it's a little different if you know uh, Crosby's playing game six when they're in Pittsburgh. I think it ends a little differently, but it didn't. He wasn't. Um, I think if game seven was in Pittsburgh and, and the Penguins had, I think it showed you how important home ice advantage is because the Rangers have been a really good home team. Um, they were struggling against Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh had Crosby at home because they were able, Pittsburgh was able to match their lines a little better, but uh, that's not the case. It's they, they worked hard for that home ice advantage uh, throughout the season and, and paid off for them in game seven. I'll tell you that. I mean, they battled, they had that home crowd behind them. Uh, as much as I hate hearing their goal song, I mean, that's got to fire those guys up when they score. You got the whole crowd going, oh, and, uh, and it's my most hated song ever. Um, oh, wait, but to go back to something you just said, though, because I think it goes back to that matchup thing you're talking about and the way they were able to match up, because I think that's something that, that I know that they pointed out in the broadcast in Game 7 that Galan actually did mix up his lines a lot more, and especially with Zabinajad, had moved Zabinajad around and played him on a couple different lines. Um, what do you think of some of those moves that were made? Necessary, unnecessary? I mean, I look at it as, to me, Zabinajad looked like the hottest player on the ice. I mean, I was watching a game, and Janice was like, can they stop saying that guy's freaking name already? Like, yeah, well. <laughs> that guy uh, with the Z, can they stop saying it? And I'm like, you mean Zabinajad? Mika? Mika, Mika? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they ended up. It ended up with Game 7, um, and I'm not sure if this is who he played with at the start, but they ended up putting him with Kreider, which I think was a great move because Kreider had a career year this year. And he wasn't really – he wasn't going yet, you know, um, as far as the beginning of the series went. And then they got those two guys together, and both of them started to take off. Um, Florida just scored, by the way, to make it one nothing. Uh, so both of them – both of them took off together uh, in that game seven. And that's, I think, was was the key. Um, you know, Zabanajad missed a breakaway. Kreider was right there to clean up the rebound. I believe he was out there with him in game six a bit, too. Um, but the big difference was, for me, was the face-offs. I think the re when Crosby went out, the Rangers were able to even up on the face-offs just a little bit more. Not much, but a little bit more. Uh, and they weren't giving them up so cleanly. Gallant's a tough guy, man. He, he's a tough coach. He coaches his team tough. He, he wants them to play tough. So I think he just kept driving that point home. They would let uh, Ryan Reeves was doing the pregame, 
you know, getting the guys fired up and everything. And, you know, he may not got a lot of ice time because of the way the game's folded out, but, or played out, but, uh, just having that guy's intensity in the locker room, you, you know, it helps. And then just those guys being able to stay focused and plug away, being down. Um, you know, when you do that, I mean, when you come back like that, I know I picked Carolina to beat him in this next round. Um, and, uh, but you never know. I mean, I picked Carolina just because I like the way they play. I think they're a real playoff hockey team. Uh, I don't think Rob Brindamore is going to let them sleep at all. But, Let me uh, ask you something, though, because it's one thing that you usually point out each, uh, you know, hockey playoff time around is it comes down to hot goaltending. And you can look at some of those games that even the games Igor gave up some goals in, he took over 200 and I believe 60 shots plus against uh, the Penguins in those seven games. I well, mean, he, he, he did a lot of standing on his head. I mean, and a lot of the goals he gave up, were goals where there were, you know, there was a lot of sloppy defense and a lot of people, you know, where he was getting shielded. So, I mean, a lot, I was listening to a lot of people. They're saying a lot of those goals he was let, you know, that were getting in weren't a, weren't a ton of, uh, you know, his, you know, really his fault. Most of it was actually him making a lot of really good saves. So, I mean, you talk about a guy who's a, not only a uh, Vesna trophy finalist, but a Hart trophy finalist. Oh, he's going to he win the Vesna. If he can stand on his head in the playoffs here and he can make some great saves, I almost wonder, like, if he's the best goaltender left and he's getting more and more big-time playoff experience, I kind of look at it as, like, aren't they kind of the team to beat or a good team to watch out for here, at least in the the East? Well, you got to remember those numbers – as far as the 200 plus shots, that's a little inflated because of game one. You know, he did face a lot of shots in game one. So you're not going to see that a lot. One, but still, I like he was, he, yeah, that's a lot of shots, you know. So that, that, that inflates the, uh, that inflates that, that shots against that. But he played well that game. I actually thought the Rangers should have won that, that game. But in overtime, too, um, a team like the Penguins, they know uh, that just about, when you watch a lot of games that go deep overtime in the playoffs, what happens is uh, it's it's never it's rarely a pretty goal. Now that one ended up being actually a really pretty tip by Malkin, but the shot came from out far, and the Penguins know that because they've been there. So when they went to deep in overtime, they just start throwing anything they can at the net because sometimes you have these. A lot of times it ends up being a really ugly, bouncy type of goal that goes in in those games. So they knew. And that's why those shot that shot total was real high. But that's not to take away anything from Shesterkin. Um, I think his defense started to play better in front of him. And when they when they were laxed and they would go down in games, I believe their coaching staff got on them and said, "Guys, got to stay focused. Got to shut down these portions of the ice." I think they were able to diagnose sort of what the Penguins were doing against them and adjust. And that's huge that they were able to adjust. But the biggest thing that they have moving forward for him is one Shesterkin, but two, when you come back like that. Um, it really builds a unity in the locker room and it gives you a lot of momentum. So I think that's the biggest thing on their side right now is the fact that they came back from three, one, uh, those guys become even more like brothers in that locker room. Uh, when you have a unity like that and momentum like that, uh, that can really drive you forward. And you know what I said before the playoffs started that, uh, I personally, before they went down three, one, I mean, I thought they were going to win it in six, um, and then I changed because they went down 3-1 and they looked so horribly doing it. I didn't think their blue line would be able to turn around like they did, but they did. And like I said before, the playoffs even started. I mean, you start rolling in a city like that. And uh, 
I don't know. I mean, anything can happen. Uh, we've seen it with the Giants. You know, the, the both years, they weren't really expected to win those two Super Bowls in 07 and 11. Uh, you see it with the Yankees all the time. Um, not so much the Mets, you know, is what it is. That was but not once, necessary. <laughs> once you get rolling, uh, well, actually, I had to get involved, Mike. I had to well, get involved. Can, can I just go to that? In 2000, when they made the World Series, it was kind of on the backs of a big come from behind victory against the Braves. They were down eight to one going into the eighth inning and they scored 10 runs. Right. That was and in so June. That's, that's yes. the thing. When that city gets behind you, it adds a little bit of momentum to your game. Um, it adds a little step pep in your step. And uh, you never know as much as I can't stand the New York Rangers, um, their fans get behind them. You know, even when they were Thanks losing the Mets games, we're actually at the game. We're actually at game seven. Yeah. Yeah, they were how electric. It was. Yeah, it's it's insane, and that that'll you know even those guys just being there should rile them up a little bit to try and get there. You know, if they make a playoff run, they're going to know that that city's going to be behind them. The crazy part was though, even when they were losing, uh, sometimes that city can turn quick. But those Ranger fans stayed with them, and you know, I, I the guys I play hockey with are a lot of Ranger fans, and they just kept saying, you know, it's a young team, so even if you know we're going to support them through and through. And even if they lose the series, you know, it's a great learning experience for these young guys. And that seemed to be the mentality all throughout the fan base. So I think, you know, as much as I hate to say, you got to give that fan base some credit for how they got behind their boys, even when they were down and losing big games, like losing by a lot. I mean, they stayed with them and it's a city where they can turn on you real quick. We all know that. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm there with the rest of them because, to me, I, that's the way I was thinking. I look at this team, and they're one of the youngest teams in all of the NHL. You know, they have, they have young talent all over the place. And, uh, you know, really, we there's no Ranger fan who could have went into this season saying we expected a championship or we expected even a deep run into the playoffs. You know, so anybody out there is just looking at this as great building and learning experience. And, hey, if we win this next round, great. You know, that, that's awesome. Let's keep it rolling. But if we don't, let's take all this experience we got from this season and start building for these next few seasons while we have this young talent here and uh, under contract. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for the next few years of this Ranger team. So I kind of feel the way everybody else does. To me, we're playing with house money at this point. We're, 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 we're playing, you know, we're letting it ride. You know, <laughs> See, you know I'll tell you. Go and just enjoying it. It's going to be a really good series, this next series. I'll tell you that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you're going to see – if you watch these games, you're going to see what I was talking about with uh, Carolina style of play. They're just a really aggressive physical team. Um, they have a lot of talent as well. Uh, they may be a little bit more battle-tested, but so are the Penguins. Uh, Penguins had some guys on the tail end. You know, nobody knows what's going to happen with Tang, with, with Malkin. Uh, Malkin kind of underperformed, in my opinion. He's been dropping off over the last year plus – but uh, Carolina's got young and experienced talent in that roster. And uh, you'll see what I mean about the type of ho- the brand of hockey they play. It's going to be Absolutely. a physical series. And that's, I think, what's going to be the toughest part for the Rangers against them. Like, I was back and forth. I sent a text message to you guys right around 7, before puck drop of this first game, because I wanted to make sure I had my round two predictions in just in case I couldn't call. Um I have them. And I was back and forth. I was back and forth on this one, and I was back and forth on the Edmonton-Calgary series as well, big time. Uh, the other two, uh, I think I was a little more set on uh, who I thought would win them. But uh, I'm sorry. Not I'm, the going Tampa, I'm going Tampa. Yeah, I'm going the Rangers. 
I'm going Edmonton, and I'm going uh, Colorado. So then right. you're going to have an Edmonton, Colorado, and a Tampa, New York. Uh, so, you know. Well, I, I I will tell you, you you and you and Mr. Pfeiffer are going to be in some competition here. Go ahead, Pfeiffer. Yeah, because I went uh, with Florida, um, and the main reason behind that is uh, I'll never forget an interview I saw with Wayne Gretzky uh, before they won their first cup, that big Edmonton, or I'm sorry, yeah, the Edmonton Oilers dynasty that he was on. Um, before they went out and won their first cup, they lost to the New York Islanders in the Stanley Cup finals. Um, and that was where the New York Islanders, an interview with Gretzky I'll never forget. As a, the New York Islanders had just won their fourth straight. So Gretzky being who Gretzky was, he got invited to kind of go by their locker room. He didn't go in or anything, but he got to walk by. And he said, what I was expecting was uh, see a bunch of guys drinking beers, drinking champagne, celebrating, lifting the cup. Because when I went by their locker room, every single one of their players was sitting on the bench exhausted in the locker room, icing their bones um, and all that, you know. And he said that's when he realized how much work it took to actually win the Stanley Cup, uh, but especially four times in a row. So my whole thing is Tampa's made those two deep runs. Um, I, as whereas the physicality in the league may have dropped, the talent, the speed, the wear and tear on the body has not, and it might be more, because the talent is more well-spread throughout the league. You're not going to see big dynasties like that anymore. Guys catch up. Teams catch up. There's a lot of talent out there. Yeah, uh, but the, the only thing I'm going to point out is, though, about Florida, though, and I'm not to interrupt you, but the only thing I want to point out about Florida is, if I'm not mistaken, they literally just won their first playoff series ever. Correct? I don't, no, it's not ever, no. Not ever. It might be the first one in a long time, but not ever. Didn't Florida win a championship at some point in the early two yeah. thousands? Oh no, I, so. I know it's a. Yeah. Did they? Okay. It's been a long well, then maybe it's been a while. Play. Yeah, it's been a while since they've won, and I just look at a team and I'm like, ah, first series they've won in a while. How are the, they going to come out this next series? Are they going to come out fired up, ready to play, or are they going to come out content that they were able to finally get over to home? Well, I, you know, it's the battle of Florida, so that's big. Um, it's huge actually. And my thing with them is they are extremely talented. Um, there's some pieces that Florida lost or Tampa, I'm sorry, lost over the off season that uh, they tried to replace. I'm not sure that they actually did. And we'll see how this plays out. But my biggest fear for Florida was they're the comeback cats, right? And you, there's no way you can get to that 16 win. 16 wins wins you the cup after a grueling 82 game season you need to find a way to win 16 have 16 wins four wins per best of seven um and you can't do that coming back so i think they realize that they know that they didn't exactly do it in their last series but um i just think that they're going to come out firing out of the gates right off the get i think they're probably next to colorado the most talented team in the league right now and that's my pick to go to the finals um so I picked Florida over Tampa, uh, and they're up one nothing right now heading into the first intermission. What I think their key, their real key is going to be, as you know, uh, over this run, Vasilevsky's never lost two playoff games in a row. Now, I, I know they have home ice advantage. They could win one, three, five, and seven, but you don't want to take it to that. You need to find a way 
to beat them two games in a row. And that's where it's going to be key. And eventually streaks end. I know, Eric, you always say bet the streak. I'm with that they end eventually. I think this is the series that it ends. I think Florida finds a way to beat them twice in a row. And they put a chink in that armor and show everybody that, you know, Vasilevsky's not as invincible as, as, as his, he is. Trust me, he's close. But uh, it's just something that's in the back of guys' minds. And I think this is the type of team that wants to go out and shatter that mindset uh, where you can't beat this guy twice in a row. Um, nobody's going to sit there and try and hang on and win one, three, five, and seven. You can't do that. So I think the key is for them is going to be winning two in a row, um, whether it's splitting at home and then finding a way to win two in Tampa, which they may not be able to do. But uh, I think they can end it in six. So hopefully they win the first two at home. So my, you know, but uh, they could also win five and six and put it away after it starts two two. Um, but you don't want to try and win one three five and seven. You got to try and win two in a row against this team. It, it kind of puts it in the back of their mind that they're not as invincible either. So I think, in my opinion, that's the key: is find a way to beat them twice in a row. Yeah. So Let that me is. Ask the- you one other question, and. Um, the teams we have left here that are playing, these four teams, are they the four best teams left in hockey? Um, Do you believe these are the four? The these are the teams that should be there. These are the te- or these are the teams that should be battling right now. Yeah, I mean the only the only team that went on that I didn't think would was Calgary, but they were the better team, and they're one of the tops in the West. So I actually do believe uh, that these are the top four teams in hockey right now. Because I picked okay. the Rangers to beat Pittsburgh. Um, they dominated them all year. Um, I know I changed my tone a little bit when they were down 3-1. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody could suspect Crosby going down and shit like that. But I do think these are the four. The, this is the matchups that, you know, I wasn't totally sold on the Stars, but I just liked the way they play playoff hockey. I thought they were going to be able to frustrate the Flames, which they were able to do. Um, but, you know, the Flames found a way to beat them in Game 7 at home. All right, so that's the thoughts of the Florida series. We do have the best teams in hockey here. Um, do you, I'll give you a quick little response here before we move to the other teams. So you picked Carolina over the Rangers. Yes. Just tell us what you think this series is going to bring and why you go to that result. Uh, I just feel like uh, Carolina is going to – I think they're going to bring a physical edge that the Rangers aren't going to be able to – uh, beat in a seven game series. I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. Five or six would be my guess. But um, I know the Rangers are really good at home. They don't have that home ice in this series. Um, so if it does go to seven, it's going to be in Carolina. They get rowdy there in Carolina. But um, the biggest thing I like about this team is uh, I saw it in game one against the, the Bruins. And uh, they just. You know, you score on them, and they come out and they hit everything in sight, and they just play a really physical brand of hockey. But they do it without getting themselves in trouble. Uh, they may take a penalty here or there. They got a good kill, but uh, they don't take themselves out of position. They just find a way to make good hits, and and uh, they, like I said, physical brand of hockey. I think it's just gonna it's gonna put this this young team down. It's one thing that I've always I've thought the Rangers going into the season. I thought they needed a. Uh, a legitimate number one center. I know Zabanjad played his ass off. I just don't see him as that guy. I think he's a great number two. He's top of the line as a number two center. I just don't see him as a number one. It could just be my opinion. 
Um, and then I just don't believe that they have that physicality just yet. So I think Carolina is just going to out physical them right out of the playoffs. And I was back yeah. and forth. That was a tough one to pick. And that was what made me make my decision was just the way they play. Okay. Now, Colorado and St. Louis, like, listen, Colorado has been your pick the entire time. So I think the reason why you picked them over St. Louis is kind of self-explanatory. You pick Calgary over Edmonton. What do you see in that series? That was hard. Um, that was a really hard pick, too. Um, I went back and forth on that for a while because uh, Connor McDavid, that's just what he did against the Kings in Game 7 is he just he took the game over. He made it his game. Uh, you don't generally see that. He's by far and away the best in the world. Um, but I think Calgary's just a little deeper than they are talent-wise. Um, I think Gaudreau's going to finally start coming on. I don't know that Edmonton's going to be able to put sort of the physical presence against them that Dallas was. So I think Calgary's going to be able to play their game a little more in this series. And, uh, I mean, personally, I want to see McKinnon and McCarr versus McDavid in the Western Conference final. Um, so it was really hard for me to pick that. I had to try and take my heart out of it because I want to see Edmonton move on. That's who I want to win. But I just think Calgary's going to do it. I think okay. they figured out how to play playoff hockey against the Stars. And the biggest thing, to go back to that Colorado series you mentioned, uh, is the layoff. They, they swept Nashville. Um, they got to come out firing against St. Louis because there's nobody to sleep on. I don't believe it's going to be an eerie, easy series by any sense of the word. I don't see them sweeping them. I see St. Louis putting up one hell of a fight against them. But ultimately, the talent on Colorado is going to take over. Fair enough there. Dave, I know we haven't heard from you in a little while. You got anything you want to throw in here? I mean, I have to sadly admit that I was watching game seven and was pulling for the Rangers. Um, <laughs> now, my justification for that was I chose rooting for the Rangers over rooting for a team from Pennsylvania. Um, that's how I justified that. Makes sense. Um, but the one, the one thing I did want to ask you, uh, Fife is that there was a lot of talk after the Rangers won that game uh, where Sidney Crosby was upset about a helmet rule. Did I uh, hear yeah. That? Like, I've never heard of a helmet rule in hockey. So kind of just wanted to see if, if you know, maybe you could kind of explain to us what he was talking about, what your thoughts are on the rule, and if it had really any impact on the outcome of the game or the series. Because I don't know if he was referencing to the whole series or just the game. Um, so just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. I'm with Dave. I'm with Dave on that one. You guys saw the text I sent after that. So yeah, go ahead, man. Uh, it actually impacted that game tremendously. Um, so basically, what the rule is, and the players don't know what I call Part B of that rule. So the rule is, if a player loses his helmet, uh, he has to go to the bench. Uh, now it, that's changed. Uh, it has to be within the last few years. So the player loses his helmet. The big controversy on it is it looked like the Ranger player ripped his helmet off. Pedersen ripped his helmet off his head behind the net. Okay. So then he thought that he had to go to the bench. But the rule states that a player, if he cannot immediately retrieve his helmet, has to go to the bench and another player has to come on. Now they're in the defensive zone. And Pedersen was, it was almost like created a power play for the Rangers. Um, but if a player rips intentionally rips another player's helmet off, 
it's supposed to be a penalty on the player who did that. So the Rangers, what Crosby believes is that it was intentional. He took his helmet off intentionally, and then it should have been blown dead because there should have been a penalty on the Rangers, and Pittsburgh should have gotten a power play out of it. What I saw uh, trying to be impartial was two guys getting tangled behind the net. <clears throat> Both of them started to go down a little bit. I think the Ranger guy was just trying to keep himself up and inadvertently took Pedersen's helmet off his head. But mm -hmm. instead of throwing his hands in the air looking for a penalty, Pedersen could have simply picked up his helmet, put it on his head, doesn't have to buckle the chin strap, doesn't have to do any of that. Um, it just has to get that bucket back on his head. He could have just went to his helmet. It was right there next to him on the boards, probably four to five feet away tops, and then got himself back into position. Uh, ultimately, the Rangers scored on that at – believe it was to tie the game at 3-3 three, three, um, if I'm not mistaken which I could be because I don't remember 100% which goal it was um, that sounds right though but it's a mix up you know uh, Penguins fans Penguins players may look at it as the Ranger player intentionally ripped his helmet off his head uh, I saw it as two guys got tangled up and it just sort of happened but I could see how somebody would think he did it intentionally. But then again, it's on Pedersen because he's got to know the rules. And a lot of NHL players don't know that. I'm sure they all do now. But a lot of NHL players took that rule as, well, we just need to go right to the bench when our helmet comes off. But if it's retrievable, you can retrieve it and put it back on your head. And that's where he made the mistake. He threw his arms up looking for a penalty instead of staying in the game and knowing the rule, picking the helmet up, putting it back on his head and getting himself back into the play. Uh, it ultimately did change the, the outcome of the game. But to, in my opinion, it falls on the Pittsburgh player because even so, even if it should have been a penalty, you can't stop playing. You got, you know, you didn't get a call, but this is big moment shit. This is huge. This is game seven. So you shouldn't be throwing your arms up at the ref. It's never going to get you a call anyway. If he didn't make the call, if he didn't see it, if he didn't make the call, he's not going to make the call just because you threw your arms in the air. In fact, he's definitely not going to make the call once you throw your arms in the air. You just go pick up your bucket, put it on your head, and get back into play. And that's, to me, on Pedersen more than it would be on the guy who, who whether it be on purpose or inadvertently, took his helmet off his head. I mean, you know, when I was coaching, one of the biggest lessons I learned as a coach was, uh, you know, you can call the ref over and keep your hands in your pocket, call him any name in the book. As long as you're not showing him up, you're all right. But you start throwing your hands up in the air, eventually you're either going to get a bench minor or thrown out of the game. Um, and that was something that I had to learn as a young coach. And when I learned it, it changed the game for me because I could come over, offer my opinion to a ref uh, as verbally abusive as I wanted to, as long as I, you know, wasn't showing him up in front of everybody and it kept it quiet, you know? Um, so throwing your arms in the air is never going to go your way. It's, um, so I, I put that more on the penguin player than I do, uh, anything else. That's like basically to me, any sport other than football and you have to play quarterback to throw your hands up in the air and get something. Absolutely, and especially like uh, in football, LeBron you know. So you can be LeBron James and just throw your hands up and get a call, too. Well, in football, though, you know, most of those guys are throwing their hands in the air after the whistle, right? In hockey, that play continues. You know, you're not getting a call. Speaking, speaking of all of this, this brings me to a perfect segue for us. So speaking of football and quarterbacks, Tom Brady – and how I just bring up LeBron James. Did any of you guys happen to see the tweet that was out there? 
I, I yeah. saw it. Be, I yeah, I saw it before you shared it. I believe I, I believe I shared it with you guys. Yeah. Um. Any thoughts on if LeBron James winner between LeBron James and Tom Brady if they had a shootout? I'd pick Brady. I'd pick Brady. James would be too busy bitching about positioning or something. What about you guys? Uh, I did I'm see- taking Brady. I'm taking Brady. I gotta be honest. I think he would just be a little bit more precision with it. He he he's got the touch where I think LeBron would just be a little too big, a little too aggressive, and then like you said, probably cry because he, his stick wasn't as curved as Tom's was, or something. I don't know. Or the puck was a quarter of an inch away from where Brady's was, and he'd be he'd be crying about that. Exactly. So, but yeah, no, me personally, I would go, I got to go Brady in a shootout there. Plus, I got to think Brady's better on the ice, better on skates. What do you say, Dave? See, I do believe that Brady probably would be better on skates, but I think LeBron James is a much more natural athlete. So I would go with LeBron. Mm. Fife, what do you say? Uh, Just because of where he played most of his NFL career, I'm going to go with Tom Brady. Um, that that place in Minnesota is like Canada of of U.S. as far as hockey goes. I mean, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. You get a lot of players out of there. I got to figure he's been around the sport. I got to figure he's done some things with I, – I would venture to say that uh, Tom Brady might hang out – might have hung out with Bruins players more than, you know, LeBron hung out with Kings players or any player in Florida or anything player i mean there is no team in ohio so i was gonna gonna ask i was gonna ask call columbus right right (laughs) the blue jackets forgot about them but i'm gonna go ahead and say that tom probably hung around ice rinks a little bit more um Mm. but i take eli over all of them because eli's a hockey dad now (laughs) just so you guys know his kid plays at uh uh there's another so uh, eric's wife runs an outdoor rink in New Jersey. And then there's another one that's kind of like, I guess they're rivals. Uh, it's called Beacon Hill. And that's where Eli's kid uh, was playing for a while. So he's a hockey dad, man. So I got to take Eli over both. All right. Fair oh, enough. Did you guys hear about the roast that Tom Brady is apparently producing? It's called like, I think the growth, the greatest roast of all, a greatest roast of all time. I did not. I think. In which I think he is going to be the person roasted, but he's also the person producing the show. So I wonder how much they're going to go in on him. And I wonder, like, you know, who who can roast Tom Brady? What's there really to roast? Well, if you if you're running a roast, you have to bring Jeffrey Ross into it. That is the roastmaster general, and he'll find something to roast Tom Brady about. He'll do that. Uh, I think you know. He's. I, I mean, I know that you didn't see it much when he was playing, but. Uh... Eli's a pretty – I'm going to go back to Eli, man. He better be in that roast because he's a pretty funny guy, and he beat him twice. So I would think they would have him come up to the mic for a little uh, celebrity roast too. Oh, he would have to. I mean, the, he had yeah. the best tweet after Brady said he retired. He was like, he said something along the lines of, like, thanks for 20 years of amazing football and, and letting me uh, beat you twice in the Super Bowl or something. Like, just like a little dig at him. Yeah. But his Frank's his Frank's Red Hot commercials still make me laugh every single time I see it. Like just mm. hearing Eli say, "I put that shit on everything," fucking cracks me up, man. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about roasts, I just want to throw a rest in peace to Patrice O'Neill and Greg Giraldo, man. 
I, I was a big fan of the Comedy Central roast, and they were staples at those things. So, just wanted to throw that in. Patrice O'Neill roasted me when I was when I was in college. He did yeah. a show at, at Ryder. Yeah, and I came walking in. We were late to the show. <laughs> uh, me, my buddy Brian, and uh, another friend of ours, Paul. And uh, we come walking in, and it was like that. We were all in a row. There was Paul, and there was Brian, and there was me. And they're like, he was like, "Oh, look, it's the evolution of a because <laughs> we all just got bigger, and I was the largest one. <laughs> I was like smaller to large." <sighs> like, yeah. I met Patrice O'Neill myself one time. Uh, when I was at Mount St. Mary College, we went down to uh, Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Do you guys remember that show, Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn? I saw his stand-up one and saw him in the city one I, time. Okay. I, I don't know if you remember this show, though. It was kind of like a version of Politically Incorrect where Colin <laughs> Quinn would host and he'd have, like, four comedians discussing today's issues or, I guess, the issues of the day. Yeah. And we went down to see a live taping of the show. And after the show, uh, me and my buddy uh, Tom Lembo, we're hanging out. I don't remember what the hell else was going on, but we saw Patrice O'Neill and we go up to him. And I considered myself a stand-up aficionado back in the day because I knew like every stand-up comic who had shows on. And I embarrassed myself in front of Patrice O'Neill. I said, man, when are they going to give you a Comedy Central stand-up? And he goes, I've had three of them. <laughs> and I, the, only, the only thing I could say is, well, they don't advertise them. What are they going to do something for you? I tried to recover. That's, I couldn't. That's like when Strahan roasted Dave, when Dave said, oh, Strahan's not even in the top 10 in sacks all time. And Strahan came back with a, I guess, number five isn't in the top 10. When did this happen? I don't remember this. This is back in the studio days when I used to actually chop up the show and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> So what, yeah, this was like a Twitter it. exchange? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Strahan replied to Dave because he must have listened to the segment. It's the only way he would have known that is to actually listen to the segment. Yeah. And yeah. I, so he actually I, listened and then commented on Dave, like actually roasted Dave. Yeah, because I, I, I titled it as uh, Strahan, a, uh, one of the all-time top pass rushers or something like that. So he had to listen to it because I was like, oh, he's not even top ten. And he came back, oh, I guess top five is not even – not considered uh, top, oh, 10. Wow. top ten. Top <laughs> ten. Uh, well, Dave, I got to be honest. I, you, you make me feel better because, like I said, I embarrassed myself in front of Patrice O'Neill. So we got that going for us. Oh, I've embarrassed myself plenty, plenty of times. It might not have been in front of celebrities, but I've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay anyway i think we can get does anybody have any other final hockey thoughts before we move on no but as always love the insight we get from our buddy fife here because he's a wealth of hockey knowledge so uh always appreciate his input absolutely absolutely let's let's talk oh. a little bit oh go ahead I just have to throw this out there. Uh, I like when I first came on, I apologize for being late, but I'm partially happy that I was um, just quick hockey thing um, to start the game, Tampa Bay versus Florida. They had a young lady uh, couldn't have been more than 10, 11 years old, uh, perform the national anthem. If you get a chance, I'm sure it'll be on YouTube. Uh, if you get a chance to listen to that, it's actually one of the best rendition renditions of the national anthem I ever heard. And I'm not just saying it because it was a little kid, like, this girl had pipes, dude. So if you guys get a chance, um, YouTube, I'm sure it'll be up there or it'll at least be on 
you know, Google or whatever, uh, just check out how this, this young lady sang this song. It was, uh, it was moving. So it was definitely worth being a little bit late to see, to see that. So, uh, Florida versus Tampa game one national anthem. I'm sure it'll be somewhere on the internet. I mean, she killed it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, okay. So with that, let's move on here. Um, We'll, we'll talk a little basketball real quickly because the Eastern Conference Finals are starting tonight. We'll go to Dave on this one. The Both Conference Finals matchups set. Boston did outlast the Bucs, the Heat. I believe they had already punched their ticket when we talked last week. Western Conference Finals. Dallas beats the Phoenix Suns. The Warriors beat the Memphis Grizzlies. I just gotta, I'm going to say that right off the bat. We don't got to spend much time on it. But what a disappointment that Suns team is. I, I know. Mean, I, I heard Doncic a single-handedly practically beat that team. I mean, like, hey, what an embarrassment. An embarrassment of a Game 7. Thank God the Rangers and Penguins were as good as they were because that Game 7 between the Suns and the Mavericks absolutely sucked. <laughs> it was an absolute trash fest. So, I mean, I, that's all I wanted to start off with. But other than that, the rest of the teams are who we thought they were. Golden State is Golden State. Uh, you know, they're my pick to win it all. And we, we, I think we all pretty much had, you know, we're looking at the Celtics as the team to beat, especially after, you know, the way they handled themselves in the first round against the Nets. Um, we all looked at them as probably the team coming out of the East. So, I mean, this really seems like a collision course to me, and that's where I'll throw it to you guys and let you guys, you know, give your opinions. But it's kind of where I'm at with this. This whole thing, I think it's a wait and see until we get Golden State and, and the Celtics. Well, I mean, I'll say this and then I'll throw it to Dave here. I know we had said last week that, I, and Dave agreed, it looked like that celtics Bucks series was kind of the, the Eastern Conference Finals and whoever won that would be the representative out of the East. The news before the game tonight, Al Horford in health and safety protocols, Market Smart going to miss game one as well with a leg injury. If those are lingering injuries that last through the finals or last through the conference finals, considering the impact both of them made in the last series, not I'm not saying it puts them at death's door. I'm just saying that's a that is a big hill to overclimb. To me, they're playing a lesser team though, because I, I look at this heat as yeah, they're a solid team, they're a good team. But to me, the, the Bucks team that they just beat and the Nets team are both better than this Miami team. And the way I'm looking at it is why even have this not like yeah, Miami's more of like a placeholder. So if those guys got to take some time off, if Marcus Smart needs a little time to get healthy and get right to, to try to D up Steph Curry in, in, the, in the finals, then, you know, that, then that's what they got to do. But I, I think that those are decisions that, you know, can be made because I, I, I listen, all credit to Jimmy Butler and what that Heat team has been able to do. But I don't think any one of us can sit here and say we think that this you know, Miami Heat team is a championship team. So I look at it as, you know, the Celtics are probably in even a better spot than uh, the Warriors are because the Warriors got to go up against a white hot Luka Doncic. I mean, that guy is on freaking fire. So, uh, I don't know. I look at it. I'm, I, I don't know. This Suns team to me, complete disappointment. Everything else lines up and uh, for a Warriors-Celtics finale for me. With that, go ahead, Dave. I'll let you respond. Well, I mean, 
Uh, I, Eric, I do think you're downplaying Miami a little bit. They're 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 a dirty, gritty, they make the game ugly team. Um, which Boston is very similar to that. I do think Boston is the team that wins the series. Um, and the biggest reason is that to me, when you look at the best players on each team, you gotta go with Tatum over Butler. Um, Miami's still dealing with uh, Kyle Lowry and his hamstring. So they, you know, they're other great, you know, not great, but really good player. He is also, you know, he's a guy that you don't know when he's going to make his debut in the season. Um, but you look at these two teams, it's going to be a gritty series. Like, like, you know, we grew up back in the day where a low-scoring NBA game was like 88-85. Like, for today's era of basketball, this is going to be a low score, in my opinion. Um, and I can see most games coming down to the final two to four minutes. Um, but I, I do think Boston just – they're the better team when it comes down to talent. Um, I think Miami is probably the better coached team. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're at when it all – everything's on the line and, you know, coaching only is going to take you so far. You need your stars to step up and, and do things. And after what you saw Tatum do to keep up with what, you know, uh, Giannis was doing for Milwaukee to get them through that series, um, this kid has the potential to really go on a very special individual run through the playoffs and, and really stamp his name as one of the top players in the league. Um, when you look at, you know, Miami pulling off seven, you know, the seven-game series win – or no, not seven game, I'm sorry, Miami taking out Philly – um, that was one of those things where, uh, like you said, I, I think that happened on the last time we were on the show together. So, um, that was a, a touch, uh, about two weeks ago, <laughs> almost it feels like, um, but Boston, Milwaukee going seven, Giannis needs help, man. He, he needs guys around him that can score. There's no other way to put it. Um, but yeah, it should be a great series, but I do think Boston takes it in six. Um, you look at the Dallas Golden State game, uh, series, I mean, Dallas is, you know, basically riding uh, Doncic uh, into the ground and he's loving every minute of it, uh, which makes you just respect the guy even more. Um, and I think he is, you know, within the next year or two, will solidify his place as the best player in the entire league. Um, he is that good. Um, like, he's a smaller better outside shooting version of LeBron James. Um, he, there's nothing he can't do, uh, but he does need to step up his defensive side of the ball. But anyway, uh, I think that's going to be a great series. I just don't think he's going to be able to keep up with Clay, Steph, uh, Draymond, uh, Payne. I, I mean, the, 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 the Warriors just have so much to roll with. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a little much, and I think Golden State takes that series as well. I also think that series goes six, though, because there's going to be at least one or two games where that kid drops, you know, a four, uh, 40-plus point triple-double, and it's just, you know, and, and Spencer Dimwitty steps up and has his 30-point game that he gets every, you know, three games, um, you know, and, and I think it's going to give them the chance, but uh, I do think Golden State takes this in six as well. But, Eric, you hit on it, and I think it's really the biggest story right now of the playoffs is the the disappointment of that Phoenix Suns team. Um, the way Chris Paul 
just fell apart right after right on the day of his birthday which ironically enough is basically the same time he fell apart last year in the playoffs and and had issues um i just don't think that man has the legs to get all the way through it um he's he's near the end of his his lifespan as an nba player um but really to me i i my my feelings or negative feelings towards that team only slightly rely on Chris Paul. What they really rely on is Devin Booker. You know, you're supposed to be this amazing all-star, this dominant player, this great shooting guard, the the next guy in the line of the Dwayne Wades and the Kobe Bryants. And, and you know, like that, that's where people expect you to go. And you barely are breaking 20 points a game after you talk shit in the blowout win in game uh, four or game five, whichever one it was, um, you know, like that to me, that that's that's the that's the bigger question mark issue, frustration, all of the above. If you're a Phoenix Suns fan, is what happened to Devin Booker? I mentioned it before. You saw what Tatum did to step up and match what Giannis was doing, and Booker couldn't do the same with Luca. And you saw Luca laughing at laughing at Devin Booker on the floor. Laughing at Little Wayne on the floor. At game seven, he had as many points as halftime as the entire Phoenix Suns. Like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, so I, that, to me, is even bigger, just a bigger disappointment than, you know, Chris Paul's performance, if I'm going to be honest. So um, outside of that, though, um, you know, it should be a great, a really good series. I just don't think uh, Dallas has the firepower yet to keep up with Golden State. So. Other than that, oh, the last thing I want to say is if you guys heard what Pat Beverly said about Chris Paul, mm. uh, the day after they won the series, that was one of the most disrespectful, yet funny, but disrespectful things I've ever seen a player do. At any what do you do? Can I ask? I did not see this. He called he, him a traffic cone. He's like, nobody is scared to be guarded by Chris Paul because he's like a traffic cone. He stands there and does nothing. <laughs> I well, saw that earlier today. I think it's truthful. Listen, it is God. disrespectful. It is Why? disrespectful. Why? Why is that disrespectful? Listen, the guy is not a, a good defender. Why is that disrespectful? He it's was a funny a, way to put it, but it's not, it was, I don't think disrespectful. Absolutely. But to knock his defensive ability when you look at, like, Pat Beverly will never step foot in the Hall of Fame. Chris Paul will step foot the first chance he gets. Chris Paul yeah, is but a, Patrick Beverly is ten times the defender that Chris Paul is. Now, I you go. No, but even, even a took him a years l- ago, back when he was with the Clippers, I used to love the way he'd antagonize people. I love Patrick Beverly's style of defense. I think he plays great defense. I, I got no problem with Patrick Beverly stepping up and calling somebody else a traffic cone. At least he puts in the work on the defensive end. You're right. He's never going to be in the Hall of Fame. He'll never be Chris Paul. He'll never be where Chris Paul is. But at the same time, he doesn't have to be. He could just be just fine where he is. I'm sure he'll get paid a boatload of money to be an analyst somewhere if he wants to be. And, uh, you know, he's going to live an okay life, too, even though he doesn't get into the Hall. But, you know, at the same time, I'm looking at it as, like, you know, who is Chris Paul? Chris Paul, to me, is, like, the new Charles Barkley or the new, you know. Uh, oh, Dan he's been Marino. a commentator for all of a week. You're going to compare him to Barkley. Come on now. 
I'm no, I'm just saying, like, hey, he's that next guy. Like, he's a Dan Marino. He's he's a guy who was great, but he's never never a champion. He's a guy who's looked at as one of the uh, you know one of the greats of his generation, I... but was never able to win the big one. That That's... is going to be Chris Paul's legacy. Oh, you said that about Paul, not Beverly. Oh, okay. No, that's about Paul. Beverly All was right. just an average, an average player at best. No, that's he why I was a little defense. taken aback by that. I misunderstood. He antagonizes people. You know, he, he's a good guy to have on the court and have on your side. But if he's not on your side, you probably hate Beverly. Um, but I always liked a guy like that on my team. Hated playing against him, but I always liked a guy like that on my team. So, uh, yeah, no, Beverly is a Beverly would be just fine. No, Chris Paul. You know, he's going to be remembered like Dan Marino and, you know, like Charles Barkley or, you know, one of those guys that just was really great. One of the best of their generation, but not a champion. Go ahead, Dave. Look, I, the reason I say it's disrespectful is that when it's all said and done, Pat Beverly would give up probably everything he's made to go back to the beginning and have the career Chris Paul did. That, that's all I'm saying. As an individual player, Pat Beverly can't even step on the same court as Chris Paul. Right now, fine. But Chris Paul was an all-defensive player, I think, nine times in his career. Like, he was a great defender. Ages a bit. He should have retired after last year. But he knew how good that team could be. Uh, yet they just weren't good enough. So... You know, when it's all said and done again, I, I think more of this goes on Booker than Chris Paul. But I thought calling, you know, calling a guy that, you know, kids looked up, look up to and try to model their game after uh, a traffic cone on national television the day after you knock him out of playoffs. It's funny. I'm not going to deny that it's funny. But big picture wise, that's 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 disrespectful. But you also got to keep in mind, too, now, you know, if you don't pay attention to basketball, you might not know. But. Beverly got suspended, I think, for three games during the regular season for just walking up behind Chris Paul and shoving him. Now, I'm pretty sure Chris Paul said something as they walked past each other, um, but you can't read his lips and you can't hear it. So all you have is is Beverly turning around and, and go, going up behind Chris Paul and just shoving him to the ground from behind where Paul didn't even see it coming. So they, they, have, they have a long history of having issues with each other, but – Chris Paul knows how to play the game and not look like an asshole. Pat Beverly doesn't care if he looks like an asshole. So, you know, that that's really kind of my thought. on I, I just, I don't know. You, you never would have seen Jordan, when Jordan knocked out Magic Johnson, or, you know, beat jo- Magic Johnson in the uh, NBA Finals. He didn't come out and be like, yeah, Magic's too old to guard me. Like, he kept that shit talk between the two of them. Again, but again, Patrick Beverly isn't even a nearly can't, can't hold a fucking candle to either of those two guys you just mentioned. Like, that's the difference is Patrick Beverly is coming out and saying this because Patrick Beverly has nothing to lose. He knows he's not the player Chris Paul is. He knows he doesn't have the career Chris Paul has. He knows he'll never be that. But what he does have are these other little snarky remarks that are pretty true. He sucks at defense. He might be a great player, but he's a traffic cone out there, especially at this age. You know, so, I mean, that's the one thing he's at least got is his voice. So, yeah, he's never going to be those guys. But I don't think he's trying to be one of those guys. He knows he's never going to be that echelon of player. So, he's just, you know, taking 15 minutes of fame all again. 
I agree with you on that, Eric. I also think there's no way he makes those comments that in at least some capacity is thinking, yeah, I'm going to disrespect them right now. Patrick Beverly is a sixth man at best, a good sixth man. Don't get me wrong. Chris Paul is a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer. If a sixth man saying that about a first ballot Hall of Famer, there is an attempt to disrespect, in my opinion. True or not. So with that, Fife, you got anything you want to throw in? I just have a question for Dave. Um, so you said you thought Chris Paul should have retired last year. So somebody comes out now and disrespects him like that. Do you think that motivates him to come back another year, maybe work a little harder, play a little better defense? Or do you think he kind of calls it a career and, and retires? With how talented that Phoenix Suns team is and they'll want him back, I, I think he comes back. And, yeah, do I think part of the motivation to come back and – try to be in, you know, the quote-unquote best shape of his life and all that crap. Like, you always hear these guys, you know, for the fifth year in a row, Zeke Elliott's in the greatest shape of his life. Like, enough. So, do you think he, do you think he, I mean, uh, from what you've seen as him as a player, do you think he's the type of guy to, to get motivated by something like that and, and drive and work his ass off? Or uh, do you uh, think he's just going to come back because they have a talented team? Like, honestly, I think his number one motivation is he still wants to get a ring. So, I, and he believes team he's on has the talent to do it so i'd say about 99 percent of his motivation is going to be that but i would say he dedicated at least one percent to the what pat beverly said and the opportunity to maybe knock him out of the playoffs next year i will go back some to something you said dave because i think you said it right chris paul can be in as great a shape as he wants to be in and you said that perfectly on that one Phoenix getting to finally win a championship. Well, you said about Booker, and I'll throw Aiton, Aiton, however the hell you pronounce the name, in that argument too. At some point, the young guys got to step up and carry the team because they are the they are the supposed future of that team. Paul is the elder statesman of that team. He was brought in to be a veteran presence, and he's done that. At some point, Booker and Aiton got to step up and take it upon themselves to power that team into the finish line. And they clearly didn't do it this time. At some point, it's got to be on them. I think Chris Paul's yeah. back next year for one reason, one reason only. He's got a player option at about, what, 44-plus million, 45-plus million, somewhere in that range, maybe even a little, a little bit higher. Um, yeah, nobody's turning that down. Uh, I don't disagree with you on that one. He's got uh, like right. 40 million plus reasons to to say yes. I think he's going to go with the yes there. So that's that's just me, though. Um, I think the rest of it could be like a partial motivation. Like, obviously, if he faces off against Beverly in the regular season or in the postseason, it's going to be like this sprinkles on top of the cake. But, you know, let's be honest, you're already eating a piece of cake. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say if you factor in the money, maybe we go like 60% money, 40, 39% championship, 1% Pat Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. All right, I think with that, does anybody have anything else sports-related they'd like to throw in? Going once. One, there was one more thing I was thinking of, and I, I lost it. So I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. All right. Fair enough, there. And All I right, Jack, because I got a game coming up. Uh, we're going to stay uh, undefeated 6-0, baby. 
All right, man. Do your final thoughts, Mr. Pfeiffer. Uh, my final thought is what it's going to be for the rest of the hockey playoffs. Oh, that's what I remember. Hockey. Before you go, before you go real quick, yes, any sir. thoughts on this is what I wanted to bring up next, and I'm glad that you're still here for it. Any thoughts on the Giants schedule that came out and the fact that they're playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving? Do you like it, dislike it? And what are your thoughts on the Giants only getting two primetime games the first time since, I think, 2004, Eli's first year that they only have two primetime games? I'm okay with the no primetime games or less primetime games. I don't necessarily love the fact that they're playing on Thanksgiving. I'll kick it to you for your thoughts, though. I like that they're playing on Thanksgiving. Um, I don't think they deserve any prime time games. I believe they're getting, even getting shipped to Germany once this year, aren't they, against the Packers? Yeah, no, London at least. Germany. Uh, I know it's somewhere, yeah. I thought somewhere somebody's playing there. in Germany. I thought it was the Packers and the Giants, but I might be mistaken on that. But somebody's playing in Germany this year. Um, yeah, I but, thought the um, Giants were in I London like, against the Packers, but I, I could be uh, As long as all goes well, I'll be down in Florida for Thanksgiving and uh, – you know, I like that they're playing on Thanksgiving uh, because then that's when that Sunday rolls around, I can go all red zone all day. I'll tell you, I kind of like that too because the Cowboys play all these games on Thanksgiving. Uh, I mean, y'all know me with the superstition, but at least they're playing an actual rivalry game that kind of means something. Yeah. Yeah, you get your Thursday I guess, I night mean, game I could be talked into liking it. I could be talked into liking it, but at the same time, like, I know more than likely if I'm at the in-laws for Thanksgiving this year, the way I've been the last few years, then they usually eat around the time of kickoff of that game. So that's where I'm like, ooh, I I don't know if I'm going to get to really watch it the way I want to watch it. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty casual, I guess, at my house these days. We Football, we leave it on. Uh, so I'll be having, a, and especially my parents will, uh, they'll definitely let me keep an eye on the screen. So I'm all right with it. Mm. All right. Fair enough there. Thank you, Mr. Pfeiffer. Yeah, baby. Appreciate you. Good, Good luck, sir. Let's play hockey. Yep. Thanks, all right. Thanks, guys. Yes. And we will probably not go too much longer, but seeing as how we are done with the sports per- portion of the show here, really, we quick. talk. Go ahead. Yeah, well, wait, Dave didn't get any thoughts in here on the Thanksgiving stuff. You got to give him some thoughts. And even on the Cowboys schedule, if you guys have any thoughts, the Giants schedule, I agree with Fife 100%. I'm going to throw that out there. I don't think the Giants deserved any primetime game. So the fact they get a Thanksgiving Day game and they get one over other primetime game, I think that's too many, too, too many, um, in my opinion. But the, the Thanksgiving Day game, I guess I can get talked into liking. But other than that, I'll, I'll you know, let's like, get Dave's opinion on the schedule here that I'm sure he came out. Yeah, really, Go ahead, really, really quick, just for both of you, um, the Knicks got the 11th pick. They just finished the draft lottery. The Magic got the number one overall pick. I have never paid attention to a draft lottery less than I did tonight. Oh, I, I genuinely just – I needed something to <laughs> while, we were phone, while I'm on the phone. So that, I like <laughs> pay attention to this so I can still do the show. Um, but at the same time – and it's a pregame. They did a pregame before the Celtics heat game, so – Mm. Um, anyway, but yeah, when it comes to the Cowboys schedule, look, it, their whole season is going to be determined by basically their first four games and their final six. I mean, I know that still leaves seven more games, but that those first four and their last six are going to determine their whole season because their first four, for the most part, is, is not easy at all. 
Uh, they got Tampa Bay and then Cincinnati to start the season. Um, Isn't there a reason ooh. where the Cowboys actually have the easiest schedule in the league? Yep. Yeah, based off of uh, win-loss record from last year, Dallas does have the easiest schedule. Great. So that means they'll go 13-4 and four and then lose in the first round. I'm, I'm the- saying they're minimum 12-5 and five this year, and they're easily the pick for the East in the division. What does it? Washington. If Jalen Hurts steps up for Washington, they could push push Dallas for the division. But if Jalen Hurts plays, how did Jalen Hurts get traded to Washington? I'm sorry. I mean Philly. My bad. I Uh, I didn't know if you were talking about Carson Wentz. I wasn't sure if you meant the Commanders or if you meant the Eagles. No, there's nothing about Carson Wentz that I think scares any football team. Um, (laughs) Like like their first four games. Or Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, then the Giants, and, the, and then Washington. So, like, they should be able to come out of that at worst two and two. But those two games, those two games against you know the two of the final four teams left last year, and then two back-to-back division games could be interesting. But um, yeah, their their back half of the season. I mean, it's Minnesota, the Giants, the Colts, the Texans, the Jaguars, Eagles, Titans, Wash, uh, Washington, like. So the, those first four games and those last six games will make or, you know determine their entire year. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and I'll say this when we do football picks later on in the year. I I don't care about the regular season if it's just gonna lead to another first round loss. They can finish six and eleven every fucking year. If all they're gonna do is go give us this false hope in the regular season and then blow it in the first round. They might as well never have a winning season again until they actually do again, something. You about don't know that, that they're going to keep blowing in the playoffs unless they actually get to the playoffs and blow it. And Mike, you also have to keep in mind: thirty-one other teams, when the year is done, is disappointed and let down by their season. We're not the only ones. The only difference is we're one of the most talked-about teams. That's really the only difference. Other I, than that, I, okay, that's like, but that's like saying. At least Jerry Jones came out and said he's never ever going to sell the team. Which oh goody, oh goody! Like I, I get what you guys are saying and everything, and that's great. But that's like saying the Mets aren't the worst franchise in baseball. I know it's true, but goddamn it, I'd like a little bit more than that every once in a while, just to make it stick, just to make it oh. seem realistic. I mean, we all want more. You know, yeah, I get, my, I get my paycheck every two weeks. I always want it to be more than what it is. Sure. Like, I could be disappointed I don't get as much as I want, but, you know, you got you to gotta take it for what it is, man. Play play good football, make the games entertaining. You know, deep teams are supposed to be. Right on. I heard yes. something bomb. I'm assuming he's talking about the Yankee game. No, I, I said you can't always get what you want. I was singing back here. Oh, uh, okay. Is that what that I was? was? Singing, I was right. singing some backup vocals for you. You were doing some Rolling Stones? All right. Fair yeah. enough. Beautiful. Mets just blew, blew the game. Uh, they're down 3-2 right now. Um, the, oh, I bit my tongue. I'm guessing um, the Yankees might be winning by the fact that Dave just mentioned they had a home run. No, I thought you I thought you said, oh, so-and-so hit another bomb. Oh, no. That, that is kind of what it sounded like to me, too. No, the Yankees are down 3-2 to to the Orioles in the top of the fifth inning. Um. Uh, here's what I want to throw in real quick. We talked a little bit about this last week. Dave, no spoilers, because I'm sure uh, Eric probably still hasn't ch- gotten a chance to see it yet. Your thoughts on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Unlike any Marvel movie I've ever seen in my life, 
Um, definitely went in a different, like, I mean, it was a direction you knew was coming because of the title of the movie and the, you know, uh, trailers, but um, still went in a direction I didn't really see coming. Um, you guys can talk free spoilers, by the way. Like, you can go spoiler, spoiler heavy if you want here. I don't care. I know all the spoilers. I know, I know everything. It's uh, I've practically seen the movie. Wanda uh, so. <laughs> is the most badass character in Marvel. But Bad. that's what they've been trying to build her up too—is to be like the most powerful or whatever. Yeah, there, there's no. There's nobody right now in Marvel that I think would stand dance against her. Mm. I'll say this. I, she was great. Elizabeth Olsen is probably the best actor that the MCU has, in my opinion. And that's, that's putting her up in some company. But given what we've seen out of her, I don't think calling her the best pure actor in these movies is any stretch of the imagination. I was a little disappointed that, pointed that they went full villain with her because... I like Wanda. WandaVision made me care about her. I didn't like that they made her the full villain. That being said, they went full bore, and she was really good with it, man. It'll, be a, It'll be a redemption arc, though. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. I don't think she's gone. I don't think so either. I mean, they definitely left it open. I mean, at this point, unless you see a body clearly dead, there's always the door, especially in a comic book movie. The door is always open for her to I still be alive. I don't believe that that Illuminati, that the Illuminati are dead either, because well, the way they build, the way you build Mister Fantastic up is the smartest man in all of Marvel. For him to just be, you know, unraveled like spaghetti, I, I and then you know the whole thing but, is they all get picked off one by one. I'm sorry, I got to say. I really just don't. I, I see that as maybe more of a ploy. Mordo's still out there. He still has a time stone. He can still bring those guys back in that universe. I think that he kind of knew Wanda was a threat and maybe something happened there. But I think they're going to come back and maybe that's part of the incursions and part of the war that to come of they may be coming back for some kind of revenge. And maybe that's the battle world stuff. Maybe that's Secret Wars, maybe whatever. But I don't think that's the last we've seen of those characters um in in marvel especially that illuminati well what i will say is this kind of goes back to what i said about it being a much smaller scope than the trailers really made it be that's not a pure illuminati in my opinion that we were kind of build of a multi-universal illuminati and we only got one universe so i agree those characters may not come back may come back it's not going to be from that universe though that's just a setup. I think we see those characters, except Black Bolt. I don't think that'll ever happen again. And I couldn't believe that they brought Anson Mount back after that was the worst show in the history of the MCU. But we'll see those characters. It's not going to be that universe's Illuminati, Illuminati though. We're going to go deeper into the multiverse, and we'll see them either from the 616 universe or other universes. What do you say, Dave? Uh, well, that was my exact thought too, because I was like, "No, I'm like, there's no way you're going to introduce all those characters, especially Charles Xavier." I just, I love uh, what's his name playing Charles. Xavier. I just, yeah, he just seems like a, like exactly what that character is supposed to be like. This powerful guy, but really, all he cares about is trying to help people. Like, that's all he wants to do. Um, but um, yeah, I, I agree. I think be all those characters again, and I. The, the same actor, actors and 
is, you know, with the opportunity to play them, maybe they have other people do it instead. But, like, when it's really all said and done, I, I do think uh, – I don't think any of those characters are, are done when it comes to you. Know. Yeah. I will say this, Dave. I, I know I was I, – I mean, we talked about this before. X-Men animated series meant a lot to me as a kid. When you when they introduced Xavier and the score hit those chords from the animated series, I started popping in my seat like a fucking ten year old. What'd you think when that happened? I didn't even notice it happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, hey. now for as much as this is being milled, billed as like a Sam Raimi movie, a horror movie. Yes. To me, I'm gonna. I want to have a comparison with you guys because to me, I think the darker, scarier film to me psychologically is a multiverse of madness. I honestly think the Batman was darker. Um. Yes and no. I mean, definitely in tone, it was darker. But in terms of actual horror elements, bat. I, I mean, I think I said there were some horror elements in Batman. So I'm not totally gonna. I don't know. In terms of actual visuals of horror elements, I think this movie had it on the Batman. Yeah, but as far as psychological, though, that's where I'm going. Because to me, like the Batman was more to me psychological. Dave, I'll go to you on. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go to you on that, Dave. Uh, and Eric, I completely see your point. The, the only reason why I would still say Doctor Strange was more horror-like than. Batman was. You expect that dark movie, like always expected. Like that's the best. Are the ones where it's dark and people get hurt and you know they they, they go battle or bat like, but like horror like connection wise, like yeah, I, I see it psychologically. You know, like when it's all said and done, you still ended up with your happy end. You know, for the most part, your happy ending. Uh, you know, in Marvel, um, you know, where you look at the Batman and yeah, he saved people, but there are still a lot of people that died. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you can really kind of say he lost the overall, you know, like he lost the war, I guess you would say. Um, he might have won a battle, but he lost the war. So I think that's, you know, that helps. But I, I want to say I think it's the difference between a, a true horror movie and a suspense movie that has a horror elements. I think suspense with horror elements might have been more of the Batman, but in terms of visuals, and yeah, there was a lot of deaths in the Batman, but I think in terms of on-screen murders that we saw in terms of the visuals, I think that's where this movie kind of has it a little more on them. That makes well, sense. The big, the biggest reason why I would still go uh, Doctor Strange is what Wanda did to uh, Professor uh, Xavier. Yeah, that 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 fucked me up. I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm like, wait, did that like, wait, what? And it's on the heels of her shutting Black Bolt's mouth and making him blow his own head off, and then turning. Uh, Mr. Fantastic in the freaking um, uh, pasta. Don't forget cutting. Uh... Yeah, cutting Captain Carter in half. Their own shield. Yeah. 
So, yeah. you're, like, you're gonna do that to Hallie Atwell. Ugh. I didn't expect that one. I told it to cousin David that the Illuminati wound up being a red herring in that because everybody was so amped for the Illuminati, and ah, five seconds later they're all dead. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, is for the multiverse part of it, not as much multiversing as I mean, they had that one part where they like crashed through a bunch of them, but Outside of that, they really didn't spend any outside of the, you know, 616 other than the E38. No, you're right. There were only three universes they really went to. It was that one, and then it was the universe that suffered the incursion. And that, that goes back to what I said last week. It was a much smaller scope. Like, the commercials kind of gave you this sense that it was going to be this big, sprawling thing that ventured out and completely went multiverse you only really had three universes in this. Dave? You know, yeah. Oh, go ahead. But I think one of the cool things that they, they put out there was, you know, when you have a dream, it's not actually a dream. It's, you know, you're seeing a different uh, version of yourself. And yeah. I, what I thought was cool about that and something I thought about after I watched the movie that that made me think about was let's not forget when in Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Tony wakes up from a nightmare about when he went through the the hole in, in Avengers 1 and his Iron Man is like choking Pepper. So like, if you think back to that, if that's the truth, uh, that their dreams of, of, from their own lives are actually visions of different versions of themselves, like, was Tony having a dream of what he went through, or was he having a dream where, you know, he, his body actually didn't make it through the wormhole before it closed? I actually read something in that thought thread, basically, earlier this week. Like, you and me have seen the, uh, the Punisher series from Netflix, and that thought kind of makes it a little more tragic with him because one of the things about the Punisher in the first season, he's always having the reoccurring dream about his family being murdered. And the fact that dreams are windows into other universes could mean that there are multiple universes where his family is murdered. And it makes that more tragic. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just, I thought that was an interesting thing. But overall, I like the movie. I can't sit here and say I loved it, but I also feel like I need to watch it again. Um, I just feel like there's so much that happens in that movie. Like that's one of those movies. Even like the third time you watch it, you, you notice something new or something that you didn't see. To, to know though that 40 minutes was left on the cutting room floor, didn't this movie feel like it was just a little bit short? You think yeah. it added to yeah. some things? Yeah, I, I I will say also, yeah, it felt a little short. There were some moments like when they went to the temple, Wanda and Wong went to the temple. I know my mother kind of looked at me and she goes, I, I, I think I'm falling asleep right here. There were a couple parts that dragged. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see what was in those 35 minutes, 40 minutes that they left on the cutting room floor. Generally, in a movie like this, the stuff they cut out, they cut out for a reason, though. I didn't. I didn't hate that it was only two hours. I think they could have cut out other multiverses and other cameos. I think that's what was cut out. 
Well, one to thing I streamlined to try to streamline the story. I honestly uh, think that's always cut out. Well, I'm sure you heard this. The original opening of the movie was going to be the 616 version of Mordor or Mordo confronting Wanda and Wanda decapitating him. And that was going to yeah, be I the reveal that. of her being the bad guy. The fact that they left that out, the way they revealed her as the bad guy, I'm fine with them leaving that out. Well, the reason they also left it out is because now Mordo is alive in the 616 and he could still be used in a future property. So that's another reason why I think that was left that way. Well, sure, but I'm just saying, given the way they chose to reveal her, I think that was a better reveal, truthfully. Because I didn't expect it. What do you say, Dave? Dave, hey, he's still on mute. Yep, there um, he is. I'm back. I'm back. Um, yeah, I, I thought the reveal was good, but I also like this might be the first time where I feel like a Marvel movie like they overdid their their trailers. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, usually their trailers like mislead you, but give you a still. Fine, he was pissed about that. Yeah. And I can understand why, because a lot of the scenes that you saw in the trailers were exactly the same movie where, you know, I always think one of my favorite ones I saw them do was um, where in Infinity War, when they're having the battle on Titan and Spider-Man swinging around, you know, hopping through building, you know, through what you don't know, you know, you think it's buildings or something, but you don't realize it's like debris from the planet and all the shit that's going on. But what you also don't know is that when you watch that trailer, you think he's just swinging around, but in the actual movie, he's swinging around saving members of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, those are the types of trailers you're used to with Marvel, so I'm kind of shocked that they allowed this to happen. Like, that kind of shocked me. Mm-hmm. And to go off of that, Feige was pissed about that, but he was also pissed about all the leaks in the trailer. The amount of leaks coming out of Marvel movies is getting fucking ridiculous. You know they may have already leaked the ending for Ant Man and the Quantum uh, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Not in here. Uh, yeah, I read an article where they basically said, "Hey, this is probably going to happen in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania." And if it happens, it's like, dude, I, I'm already getting spoiled for a movie that's a year and a half away. I'm tired yeah. of that. Like, bad job. Whoever is giving this shit out needs to be fired. Well, I just think these movies are so big and it takes so many people to make them that to keep everybody's mouth shut about cool shit going on, I just think that there's too many people out there that can't help themselves. Non-disclosure agreements. I don't think I don't think it's right. No, no, let me just say Go ahead. I don't think it's right. And I agree with you. If they're found, they should be fired because you shouldn't have people out there leaking this stuff out because it does ruin it for the people that want to watch it, the fans that want to wait for it to come out and see it. So I'm with you there. I think if they're found, they should be fired. But I just think these casts and everything else, not even just the cast, but just the crews. And all of the people involved in what it takes to make these movies nowadays, between the CGI, between the practical, between the locations, between everything, it's just to me too crazy. And that's why I think they uh, they really do struggle to keep the leaks in nowadays. Non-disclosure agreements. Marvel and Disney has the lawyers to prosecute them. 
Get everybody who's involved to sign non-disclosure agreements with heavy fines. You want to leak this I'm movie, sure and we find out. How do you? How do you? How do you prove it, though? That's where. Oh, Disney's got the money. Disney practically owns everything. They got the money. They got the lawyers. They can hire private investigators. They can find this shit out. You want to leak this shit? You're going to be paying us back hundreds of thousands of dollars for the rest of your natural life to the point where your grandchildren will be paying them if you leak this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Take a hard take a hard line on that shit. There is always going to be leaks. Can't help it. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, you think back. Like, well, I get it. It's rain on somebody else's parade, though, Mike. That's the thing. Is like, people well, unfortunately, you're right. Wait yeah. For it to come out, they have to be like, oh, look, I gotta ruin this for everybody else because somebody out there just has to be that asshole. Like, yeah. life is filled with them. They just have to be that guy. I'm not that, that way. You're not that way. Dave's not that way. But unfortunately, there are way too many people out in the world who are that way. Yeah, but you think about it. Like, I get it in 2008 when Nick Fury shows up in the post credit scene. It was a different world than it is now. But if you think to four years ago when Infinity War came out and Endgame came out, the only one spoiling those movies was Mark Ruffalo in the interview. And nobody took him seriously at that point. How did we get to a point where Infinity War and Endgame come out and basically nobody spoiled those movies outside of Mark Ruffalo and LaShawn McCoy on Twitter? And now here we are and we got movies. Oh, Eric, did he cut out? I lost him. I think he cut out. Wow. almost Almost two hours in before it happened. That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, no, listen, that's that's a good run for Mike. Okay, I'm going to listen. Now, I've been cut off about three or four times tonight, but I'm going to I'm going to say what I just said. How did we get from the point where three or four years ago, the only ones spoiling Infinity War and Endgame were Mark Ruffalo in an interview that nobody took seriously and LaShawn McCoy on Twitter to now we got Spider-Man No Way Home getting spoiled. We got Doctor Strange getting spoiled. And we got movies a year and a half out being spoiled. And this all changed over the course of three or four years. H- how do we get there? I wish I had an answer for you, Mike. Yeah. Something changed somewhere along the way. Yeah, so. Bob JPEG took over. Uh, it's all his fault, yeah. It's all his fault. Listen, okay. I got to be honest. I think he's helping to drive the Disney brand down. Well, listen, I, I think, think he's until, doing much to help it. That's for sure. Until we see how this phase after the Infinity Saga really kicks into full gear, because I still think we're in the beginning stages of it. Unfortunately, that narrative has legs. Until we, you know, see it all kind of come together. So I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'd like to think he's not encouraging these leaks, though. Because what would that benefit him? That wouldn't no, benefit he's definitely him. not encouraging and he doesn't like it whatsoever. So no, he, he prefers to keep the secrets in-house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you there. But it's just too hard because there's just too many assholes in the world. Yep, yep. All right, I think with that, Dave, unless you have final thoughts on this one. I'm good, my man. All right, I think that will do it for us here tonight. I will say, I don't know if you guys saw the She-Hulk trailer that dropped. I'm a little nervous from that because I heard some things that that may have had some behind-the-scenes drama, but it was a good trailer that came out today. 
It's a good trailer. Did not see it, but uh, the Hulk is my favorite character. So, and the MCU has not done the Hulk justice. So I'm hoping that eventually we'll have some justice for Hulk and be able to see him at his full Hulk. Hulk well, I'll character. say this. He was in that trailer a lot to make me think, because I kind of thought he would only be in the first episode. He may have a larger role in that series than I originally thought he was going to be. So you might have I that going for I hope he does, and I hope he hulks out, because they, the, the Hulk is pure power. He has pure strength, and we have not seen the Hulk at full. We got close. Where, you know, they were, they were starting to fringe upon it in, you know, in Ragnarok a little bit when he was you know, the champion there on Sakaar, but even still, he, he's not you know, near what he could be. And uh, I get it that sometimes with the OP characters, you know, you got to power them down a bit. But I, I think that they've powered Hulk down a little too much. Mm. So I want some redemption for Hulk. Well, I saw a lot of smart cult in the trailer. But anyway, all right, I think that will do it for us here tonight. Uh, thank you, to everybody, for listening to us on all our various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Thank you to Eric Pfeiffer for being here with us early tonight. Let's get some final thoughts from you guys here. Dave Hastings. Sorry I missed you guys last week. Happy to be here this week and look forward to next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Eric Tressler. Stay sweaty, my friends. Stay sweaty, my friend. Yes. And I am Mike Agliolaro. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. We will see you all next week.